Welcome to Establish the Edge. Last week I had Ben Gretsch on to talk with one reactions kind of globally. Today I have EPR's Mark Denkenbring on to talk through some rest of season top 150 changes that were made each week. The staff at Establish the Run, me, Mark, Adam Levitan, Evan Silva, Andrew Wiggins, everyone kind of looks over these to make sure we're putting you in the best position possible. So we have our rest of season top 150 geared, geared towards half PPR leagues. Uh, again, that's updated every Wednesday. And it's been an interesting start to the season. It's always difficult to kind of, I guess, Mark, to balance our priors, but also wanting to react when we do think there's something that's more than just noise and has a little bit of signal. For sure. And uh, first off, just want to say it's honored to be on Established Edge. I was a big <laughs> fan back to going back to last season with Corain, and I thought the offseason special with Ben Gretsch was awesome. So just want to say it's it's a pleasure to be on here and talking through some football with you. But yeah, this this top 150, um, it's been a good exercise to go through each week and you know kind of update. And as you said, it's it's a difficult balance between how much do we want to weight our priors and uh, just weigh in two weeks of football because you know we always shout small sample size when it's just a couple weeks. Um, and I, I thought the top 25 was especially tough because we've had some disappointments with you know AJ Brown and Justin Jefferson. And DK Metcalf kind of at the top end of receiver and obviously Cooper Cup and Tyler Lockett have flashed very strongly. So um, I think it's great to talk through and, and a very useful exercise moving forward. Yeah, I know Eric Bimefor of Roto-Grinders, who I follow on Twitter, is always asking like kind of like difficult questions I think people don't want to face. And one of the things he pointed out, you know, last time this year, Justin Jefferson was still behind Ola B.C. Johnson. And... <laughs> You know, there there were some other things going on. T. Higgins, you know, was barely playing. So we do have to keep in mind that it's a long season. There's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some youth that ascends. And we try to do our best to balance all of that. So we're not going to go through the whole top 150. We're kind of just going to start at the top, though, and point out guys that I think there's just like interesting notes on, or and, and obviously the guys that have moved the biggest. So for me, looking at the running backs, like at the top of the board, you know, some concerns with Alvin Kamara, just because this team, we were looking like we have Alvin Kamara's over showing on props for this week for his receptions. And that's with like 30, like low 30s pass attempts for Jameis. He's thrown 20 and 22 the first two weeks. So yeah. it's been in two different, completely different games. It's been a bit of a nightmare for New Orleans from a fantasy perspective, because they're very slow paced and they're pretty run heavy. And that was, that was the concern. I think Kamara is such a focal point of the offense that I'm not like worried, but you know, start, you know, you definitely feel better if you took Dalvin over Kamara at this point. Yeah. I mean, the saints have been just very interesting to assess early on. I mean, we had, we thought, you know, Marquez Callaway would come in and kind of be the wide receiver one there. Um, Adam Troutman, in week one, ran a ton of routes, had a 30% target share, and then didn't receive a target in week two. Uh, so we're just kind of scrambling to project there. And and Kamara, we, you know, would expect gets the the bulk of the work moving forward. And as you mentioned, Jameis Winston only thrown, what, I believe, 43 passes through through two games, 42 or 43, and they only ran 43 plays last game. Um, so I'm interested to see how it goes against New England's defense this week. I do like Kamara to kind of bounce back and, and be the focal point of the passing game there. Um, I, I think as well on the top, you know, one of the, one of our biggest downgrades uh, this week was Ezekiel Elliott dropping probably four or five spots. And there was 
that battle, you know, at, at the fourth or fifth pick this year. Okay, do we do we go more towards Zeke or do we make the jump with someone like Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey? And and I think Ezekiel Elliott owners are are panicking a little bit. How are you feeling there moving forward with Zeke and and what do you think, you know, would be his value moving forward? I think he's going to be really solid over the course of the season, but you know, the ceiling definitely takes a hit where we've seen two games already where he's been kind of, I don't want to say scripted out, but he clearly hasn't been the focal point. Week one against Tampa Bay, they knew the path to success against Tampa Bay was a really high pass rate over expectation. They threw the ball a ton. You know, Zeke's going to struggle, and you're going to struggle against a tough run defense. And then week two, they did go to a run heavier approach, but they really mixed in a lot of Tony Pollard. And I think we'll see more kind of regular games from Dallas, so to speak, where they're running a lot of plays and Zeke does get towards 20 carries and is pretty successful by the goal line. But the fact that we've, you know, they're two for two and, and not making Zeke the focal point is it hurts the ceiling case. So I'm not panicking on him, but he's also not someone I'm going out of my way to buy just because I don't like to buy running backs that I don't think have, this huge ceiling. Um, another running back in the top 10, we have Derrick Henry ninth overall, but I could see him as high as third where Kamara is. We're going to continue to watch this, but he's catching a lot of passes early on and it's only two weeks, but he's already caught. Um, I, think well, he yeah, I mean, he's, he's on pace to just smash his career targets already. I mean, he's a, he's a third of the way there to what he had last season. Right? <laughs> he's got 10 already and he had 31 last year. So it's just a pretty remarkable pace at this point. And the thing with Henry, he doesn't have the pass catching that we like out of other top backs with big ceiling. But to your point, it was so low previously that he also doesn't have to do a whole lot to have that kind of be like a meaningful impact. Like if Derrick Henry catches 40 passes, like it, it, it's awesome. You know, you, you're absolutely yeah. stoked. He doesn't have to catch. Like there's some other guys to hit their upside. We want them catching 60, maybe even 80 balls. So the threshold on his pass catching is a little bit lower and it had really nowhere to go, but up. So um, he was a tough one. I was staying away from him in a lot of managed leagues and, but, but buying him in best ball. Um, so he's interesting. I think the other guy, I feel like the top three receivers. I mean, it's like nitpicking Tyree kill Diggs and Adams uh, Diggs and Adams have gotten off to slow starts, you know, with Josh Allen struggling and then Adams just hasn't found the box really, you know, we saw Aaron Jones score four touchdowns, but I do think I'd have Tyree kill first, not because I'm worried about Diggs or Adams, but just because Kansas city seems like they're concentrating on, uh, Hill and Kelsey a little bit more. And we had Tyree kill with Diggs and Adams with him having like a 5% less target share. If he's going to have a high 20s target share, like it's pretty scary what he can do. Yeah, things have been so con concentrated in Kansas City thus far. Um, it was, you know, we saw the volatility in week two, though, which is surprising to see Tyreek put up such a low score. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes moving forward. Obviously, Baltimore has kind of the talent in the, in the secondary to be able to take him away a little bit. Um, but Tyreek Hill almost seems unstoppable, you know, at certain times. So um, I think moving forward, you've probably watched a decent amount of digs and the bills the first couple of weeks, you know, I haven't watched too much of their games, but how are you feeling about that connection with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs? Because obviously last year was such a breakout season. It's kind of best case scenario other than the touchdowns for digs. Where do you feel there? Are you pretty confident? You know, cause we, cause we were, I think a little above consensus this year, having him, you know, as the one or the two um, ahead of, Tyreek. 
If there's a small bit of concern, it's just that Allen's improvement last year was so out of left field and so dramatic that maybe you're concerned there's a little bit of regression on his part. But after two games, I'm not panicking. They're still chucking the ball. Diggs is still going to command a huge target share. Diggs is still one of the best wide receivers in the league. So really just not, you know, overly concerned about about mm-hmm. that. I, I think he's a good buy low. I also think Jonathan Taylor at the back end of like what would be our first round if we were redrafting is a really good buy low where he's more involved in the passing game. Like there were concerns going from Rivers to Wentz that he wouldn't be as involved in the passing game. That's sort of not been the case. We had one game where Marlon Mack didn't play, one game where he did play, which I think is slightly positive overall that there are chances he won't play at all. And his usage by the red zone has been awesome. He's had a ton of touches inside the five, inside the 10. The touchdowns just haven't come yet, and they're going to come. Like That's, that's going to happen. So I'm big on JT. I think when we move, we've got – you mentioned Zeke had dropped to 15th. We have Ridley 14th. And people are worried about Ridley. I don't know how you feel, Mark. I'm like a little worried, but I start looking at the guys behind him and I'm like, I'm not taking Metcalf around Jefferson, like Cooper Cup, like those guys that had a Ridley yet. You know, it's still, Mm -hmm. I'd actually think Atlanta, as bad as it seems, there's some positive signs where they're running at a really fast pace. They're not passing as aggressively as we hoped relative to expectation, but because their defense kind of stinks, their expectations been high. So that is 67% pass rate, averaging 66.5 plays per game for each of the first two games. They're concentrated in their targets. Sort of everything we want to see, they've just been super inefficient. And I'd bet on that efficiency, maybe not being great, but at least bouncing back a little bit. Yeah, I think our assumptions for the Falcons coming into the season have definitely changed a bit. Um, after two weeks, you know, we, we were expecting really to just be this all-worldly air yards leader, um, as he was without Julio last year. And it, it's been kind of difficult with the moving pieces. You know, we loved Arthur Smith in Tennessee and thought that would translate well, but it's been a little bit of a slow start. And I believe Matt Ryan's A dot, you know, is just a little over five yards um, and has come down a, a few yards from wh- where it has been in the last four or five years. So I'm a little concerned there for Ridley just because we were expecting him to dominate the air yards and just get all these downfield looks. Um, so I'm hoping that comes in the next few weeks. But again, the, the concentration of targets in Atlanta is still a positive. Um, you know, I, I even think it could get even more so with kind of Mike Davis and Cordero in the, in the backfield. And then, you know, Russell Gage has an ankle injury. He's probably going to miss this week. So I, I think it, everything is really going to funnel through Ridley and Pitts. So I'm, I'm still pretty bullish on Ridley moving forward, but I, I do want to see some elevation in air yards in the next couple of weeks. And, and that'll make me definitely feel a lot more settled moving forward. Yeah, that makes sense. And we did drop Mike Davis a little bit in the ranks just because, you know, he's not the most explosive player in the world. And with Cordell Patterson flashing, there's a little bit of concern there. But again, usage-wise, you know, Mike Davis is third in the NFL among running back targets. He's getting touches by the red zone. They just haven't converted. So um, Mm -hmm. similar to Zeke, I think he's going to be solid most of the season. But like also, if I have him, I'm not panicking, but also not exactly the type of ceiling that I'm trading for. Uh, as we move kind of like further down to the quote unquote second round, I uh, do start to see a bigger gap between Waller and Kittle. We had it basically even. I was very bullish on Kittle, just thought this offense could go through the roof. Still think we're going to see some huge spike weeks from Kittle, but Mark, it's hard to you know argue with the target. You know, that was the big thing was like the targets are going to be better for 
Waller than for Kittle. And what we've seen so far has gone that way. 26 targets for Waller, for Kittle. We were, I think, uh, what, 19 of those came week one, too? That was just absurd. Um, but I mean, Kittle with, has nine with Waller, targets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was the, wild. That was the rub there for sure. You know, it's just the volume concerns and with Kittle and and the first couple of weeks have definitely played out in Waller's favor. Obviously, the the Raiders have come out throwing more than we were expecting. You know, one of the highest uh, rates of, of or pass rate over expectation thus far. And and the Niners had kind of that game against the Lions where they jumped out to the huge lead, so it didn't really need to press it, but. Definitely without the utilization of Brandon Ayuk, I would kind of want to see more out of Kittle thus thus far. Um, so, I'm, you know, it, it, it's not a – again, we're not worried about his talent or if he'll be able to break big plays or big games. We know that he will. Um, but it is it has been a frustrating start for Kittle. And I should know, on Vegas in general, we've moved up some players. We've moved up Derek Carr. We've moved up Henry mm-hmm. Ruggs. As you said, they're high in pass rate over expectation. They're second in the NFL in pass rate over expectation, and they've also averaged 72 plays a game the first two games. There was an overtime game in there. but uh, And if you look at Derek Carr's game log going back to the end of last year, like, I think it was Ian Hardis posted on Twitter, I, I didn't even believe it. It's like averaging yeah. like 350 yards passing a game. I really thought the Raiders would regress offensively, and they haven't. So I uh, definitely made a call on me on Carr, someone I definitely wasn't drafting really any under any circumstances well two uh, defenses too and the ravens and the steelers that we respect a lot so i you know i think it's it's something to pay attention to moving forward and um obviously rugs and edwards were supposed to be second year breakouts they weren't you know i i don't really have anyone on this raiders offense outside of waller i love taking him at the two three turn in those points but i, I don't have much rugs at all and definitely no brian edwards um and, and no Derek carr so if they continue to keep this up um I mean, it's it's something that I won't be able to enjoy in too much outside of DFS, but uh, it's it's definitely interesting. The big thing with Ruggs is, you know, can he earn targets? Had basically the yeah. game of his life last game, not game of his life, but he had, he had a good game. They mm-hmm. schemed some things for him, but that still got him up to 13% target share on the season. So, you know, you definitely want to see some more games where he can get in the low 20s, high teens. You're not expecting him to be an alpha, but... Like it's just going to be hard for anyone to get their sub fifteen percent target share to be super meaningful. Even and I think real life he does a lot of good things for the offense, but fantasy wise, mm-hmm. going to need to earn the target. Shout out to James Ritchie who says he's got uh, more car Renfro stacks in best ball than he's proud to say. Renfro was free in the eighteenth round, so that backdoor yeah. stack looks pretty good. Looking at some of the running backs, we haven't moved Chubb a ton, but we were bearish relative to the market to begin with. It's you're seeing the pros and cons with Chubb, like absurd efficiency, but he got out carried by Kareem Hunt last game. And it's just difficult if you're not going to catch a lot of passes and you're going to split carries. So he's like a two, three turn for us guy coming into the area. He's basically stayed there. I do think we'll see more of the carry share get his way than we've seen so far. Um, But yeah, it's just tough to hit a huge ceiling there. Yeah, I, I think he's one of those players that that's kind of gone exactly as we were expecting. Um, obviously, you know, losing a, a touchdown to Andy Janovich and Baker Mayfield isn't great in week two um, on the grounds. But I, I think moving forward, Chubb will be great. And, and the Browns have always kind of liked to mix in and rotate personnel. So not worried about the usage. I mean, in, in bigger games, you know, we saw them ride him a little harder against the against the Chiefs in week one. And I expect 
kind of moving forward when they're not playing the Texans, they'll rely more on Chubb. And, and they have been uh, working some screens to him. I know last year in the playoff game against the Chiefs, they threw him the ball four or five times. And, and thus far, early on in games, they've been you know looking to get him involved in the passing game. So I think it's just something they're hoping to improve on with Chubb. And, but he's always been a better half PPR standard play than PPR, obviously. The wide receivers, this is where it's like really tough to rank. Um, we've got a bunch of wide receivers between 20th and 32 overall. And we've got ahead of Cooper Cup, we still have DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, Keenan Allen. The top three have gotten off to slowish starts. I think there's some randomness there. I do think what's tough with all three of these guys is they're you're really banking on efficiency. They're not like they're all gonna be the ones in their offense, but you're talking like 25 percentage target share. Whereas like Keenan Allen, Cooper cup, we've seen like they could get maybe to 30. Um, but the efficiency looks like it's going to be really good. It just hasn't hit thus far. So uh, AJ Brown left a lot of yards out there last week. I was frustrated playing with him in DFS. You know, he kind of short armed a ball where he looked like he thought he was going to get hit, dropped another one down the sideline later. I don't have concerns. I do think it's close Mark with Cooper cup. That's the guy people really want to ascend. I'm glad I did the off-season podcast with Ben Gretsch, who really kind of helped me get me on Cup like over Woods because we didn't think what is happening was going to happen, but we knew it was in Cup's potential and it probably wasn't in Woods' potential because Cup's targets per route run has always been higher than Woods. It's just like, is he going to run more routes or as many routes as Woods? So far, the answer is yes. And so far, the pass rate over expectation is you're really positive for the Rams, something that's been a concern for them at least last year. And we're also seeing like, yeah, going from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford probably was an upgrade. <laughs> so all the, you know, all the bull cases for, for Cooper cup are sort of hitting at once so far. Yeah. I think this cluster of receivers obviously would love to have any of them on my team at this point still um, Cooper cup. I, I think if we were doing, you know, these as PPR rankings, I could see him, or I could see making the case to bump him above guys like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, just on, on pure, you know, reception volume upside. Um, but things have gone cups way with, with touchdown in the first couple of weeks, obviously he scored three, I believe thus far, which, you know, I think will get distributed more throughout the Rams. Um, I do expect them to, to try and get Robert Woods more involved moving forward. I mean, just the balance in the offense and having those two guys on the outside, is, is better than just solely relying on cup, but we do have the breakfast narrative there. And, and as you, as you mentioned, you know, this off season, uh, Cooper cup has, has had the better targets per route run and, and efficiency uh, metrics in the last few years. So I, I still, still do really like him, but the, the guys in front of him, DK and AJ Brown, I just think have, have a little higher upside in terms of half PPR moving forward. Yeah. We moved lock it up a little bit. Not a ton because we were pretty high on Lockett coming into the year. Yeah. And he's a guy where, you know, sometimes like, the ups and downs of a player, like Tyler Lockett had one of the biggest standard deviations of a player ever last year. Mm-hmm. And that stuff's not necessarily predictable or even all that bad, except in Lockett's case might have been so extreme that it was bad because he had a lot of weeks that weren't that good. But I mean, he had roughly the same fantasy points, the same targets as DK Metcalf last year. And, you know, we're seeing a similar thing this year. Still have Metcalf's talent ahead of Lockett. But, you know, clearly we shouldn't have been overthinking like, oh, Lockett only had two really good games. They were just huge good games. So he's fine. The Tampa Bay guys, we've started to 
you know, I think Chris Godwin's pretty solidified in his role where the targets are a bit more consistent. We've moved Mike Evans down a little bit just because I think there's just going to be a lot of, you know, week to week volatility and like who gets it between him, Antonio Brown and whatnot. We moved Antonio Brown up a little bit. So um, those are some other guys in that mix. And then DJ Moore versus Robbie Anderson. We liked both of them. We had the gap that the market did between DJ Moore and Robbie, but Moore is working a lot more shorter ADOT stuff than he did last year, which is he's good at everything, but probably a little better with that. And we're just seeing the target start to funnel his way a little bit more than we have in the past. Yeah. The DJ Moore metrics the last few years, you know, in his first two seasons are, are just unbelievable. And I'm glad we were way above market on him because uh, it, it's come out and gone great with Darnold the first few weeks, you know, they have a consistently soft pass schedule moving forward. So really love where we have DJ Moore. Uh, revisiting the Tampa Bay guys a little bit. I Godwin is my clear favorite there. You know, we, we've loved him and his yard after the catch ability. I think that gets slept on just his athleticism as a whole, uh, streaking down the middle of the field for for Tom Brady and the Bucks. Um, and and we've seen with Mike Evans. You know, the the bull case on Mike Evans is he could just have an outlier, ridiculous touchdown season for the Bucks. And we we saw that in Week Two. But if Gronk continues to take touchdowns. Um, obviously Godwin will be in there. I don't think the Bucks have had a single rushing touchdown yet. Um, so when you look at Mike Evans, I think it really has to come through the touchdowns, the upside. So I, I think that's why we're dropping him behind the likes of DJ Moore and guys where the volume is just so much more solidified. Um, and hopefully, you know, you can kind of guess right on those Mike Evans weeks and he can offer more of a floor, but ultimately the upside is going to come strictly through touchdowns in my opinion. Yeah, and you mentioned Gronk, even though we're not at that part of the 150. Might as well cover him now. He's moved up a ton for us. 125th overall, TE11. Hard to get him in the top 10 of tight ends. Um, you could yeah. maybe have him over Tunyon, like similar type reasons. Uh, but once you start getting into Fant, Logan Thomas, I don't think you can move him up that high. But you're clearly an L for us on Gronk. We really thought they'd mix in Brait, mix in OJ Howard. Gronk's played 84% of snaps. Brait's played 30%. OJ Howard's played 13%. Gronk has 13 targets, a 15% share, four touchdowns. You know, he's had two touchdowns in each of his last three games now going back to the Super Bowl. So, you know, clearly we were wrong about Gronk. He's staving off the age model a little bit more, not uh, so he's moved up quite a bit. Forward. Yeah, one guy I do, do want to bring up too that's right in this range as well is Terry McLaurin. Um, obviously the, the changeover to Heineke at quarterback, and this is a, a prop that we were looking at taking – Yesterday is is Heineke's under on pass yards, and we ended up taking the under on pass attempts uh, just because we think you know the the Thursday night game kind of shootout. Honestly, with the Giants' unexpected shootouts led to an increased um, you know pass attempts look for Heineke and, and McLaurin had an awesome game. You know, thirty percent target share, saw fourteen targets in that game. Um, now they they have Buffalo this week, right? So interested to see how McLaurin fares against Buffalo. Do you have any hesitations with Heineke? You know the do you think it's a downgrade at all from Fitzpatrick, or are you still just kind of all systems go with McLaurin? Uh, I, I definitely think he's you know, he's the back end of this tier. I think I might even take DJ Moore ahead of him. We have them flip flop, you know, really closely, and then Allen Robinson in that mix. I'm a little concerned with Hine. You know, he's not as good as a quarterback as Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's really you know low key played lights out the last couple of years. So I have some concerns, and you know, they threw a lot last game the way it happened, but I don't expect that to continue. So. Uh, but he's also really good. He's going to be targeted heavily. So he seems just fine in this tier. I don't I don't have a lot of strong feelings. And then we've also got like Mike Evans, Adam Thielen, Robert Woods in this tier. Uh, 
I think Mike Williams, though, we have at the back end of this tier now, wide receiver 21, and really good signs for him, Mark, where he was a guy kind of like Ruggs, where I just was worried if he'd ever be a target earner. Could he ever do that? And there's always jokes when there's a new offensive coordinator, a new coach in town, like someone, they make these terrible comps. It's like Mike Williams is going to be a Michael Thomas in this offense, but uh, we're kind of seeing it a little bit. And Michael Thomas has, or Mike Williams has out-targeted Keenan Allen through two games, you know, 22 to 21. And what's crazy is the catch rate super high on Mike Williams, you know, 15 out of 22 he's caught. So it's a different role, shorter eight out role, more consistent targets. And he still has big playability. It's not like that's gone away. So really all systems go for big Mike. And should also mention in general on the Chargers, pace is great. Fourth and password over expectation. A lot of good signs for the Chargers. I was worried about Herbert. I talked about it a lot. I was concerned Herbert was an overpay, but he seems completely mm-hmm. fine if you paid that QB7 price tag on him. Yeah, I, th- I just think this Chargers offense is built to throw. You know, that they've got Eckler in the backfield, obviously Keenan and Mike Williams outside. I brought in Jared Cook, have, have Parham there as a tight end too. So I, I really, I'm buying this Chargers offense and um, I don't know necessarily know if I could buy high on Mike Williams right now because I think people would just be asking a pretty absurd price. Um, but if you could flip, you know, maybe someone with a third or fourth round value kind of towards the end of the season, like a James Robinson or, you know, because there's a lot of a lot of running back needy teams and, and people stacked up at wide receiver. So if you could maybe toss, you know, a, a fourth round running back like that, maybe like a David Montgomery, you know, and get a Mike Williams back in return. I think that's something interesting. Um, if you'd like to buy high there, because because I am buying it and, and just love this Chargers offense moving forward. CEH is someone people want to talk about. You know, it's yeah. a lot of upside at the two three turn where he went. We're not seeing it. It's very similar to last year. Uh, the major concerns for CEH one. Now I saw a stat like he was facing a lot of light boxes and still wasn't efficient in the ground game. Obviously, he had the fumble to lose the game for them. I personally don't think that's going to be a huge deal long-term, but it's something that maybe if they punish him, give someone else some opportunity, the dominoes start to fall against him. And they're just not thrown to the running back a ton. You know, like I said, they're more focused on Kelsey, more focused on Hill. So some concerns, but ultimately, like, I think this is about right. You know, RB 1640th overall, there's, we don't know. Maybe they start throwing to the back and he gets back to a low digit percent target share, which is great in this offense. And, you know, he starts to churn out a little bit more efficient weeks. Efficiency can be very volatile. So definitely concerned on CEH. We've dropped him accordingly, but uh, I'm sure there's other people that are panicking to an even larger degree. I mean, it's been pretty brutal. We've The, the rushing chair has, has been great for him. You know, he's gotten 60, 66% of the carries. It's not like we have to worry about Darrell Williams. Uh, Jarek McKinnon hasn't really been used. So it's not kind of like those guys are – you know, coming up from behind and outplaying him at this point. It's not like a Pollard Zeke scenario by any means, but you, I mean, you mentioned it just no involvement in the passing game only has three targets through two games been pretty brutal. Um, I mean, McKinnon has, you know, one in his, his rough, rough time out on the field. And then Daryl Williams has zero. So it's just been, they just haven't been looking to the running backs at all. Um, you know, I would expect that to obviously increase a little moving forward. And if, as you mentioned, if we can get him up to about a 10% target share, I think that's passable, but at this point, I'm not expecting much goal line work to come back CH's way. I mean, they had just have so many better options, I think, around the goal line with Kelsey and, you know, Tyreek on some 
and, and McColl on kind of those uh, jet sweeps and touch passes and things along those lines. I, I just expect them to continue to be creative around the goal line. So um, I've definitely soured on CEH. I'm, I, I don't really know if I want to buy him. You know, I'm, I'm starting to question the talent and maybe that's, um, you know, not, not a good thing on my part. Maybe I should believe in it more with the, with the first round grade, but you mentioned the inefficiency, you know, he ran a four, six It's like, is, is he good enough to be an NFL productive running back uh, with his size and kind of lack of speed at this point? I'm, I'm it's just still wait and see. We're still pretty bullish on the Cincy receivers have chase and Higgins back to back wide receiver, 23, 24, the good sign for them for chase. It's just, he looks the part right out of the gate. You know, all those concerns about drops and whatnot and taking the year off completely alleviated two long touchdowns. First two weeks, first week, and they'll let the team in snaps and targets. Uh, and in general, they've been really concentrated. 68.4% of the team's targets through two weeks have gone to Boyd, Chase, and Higgins. That's good. That's up from last year. And, you know, that's like in line with what Carolina did last year when they supported three top 24 wide receivers. Concern, Mark, is like, is Burrow fully healthy? Because the play calling's been a disaster from what we've wanted to see early on. They're slow paced. They've been negative pass right over expectation each of the first two weeks. They're actually right down, basically tied with Baltimore with the lowest pass rate over expectation through two weeks, which is crazy. We expected not only not that, but the exact opposite. So while I expect that to get better as the year goes on and and Burrow's more confident in his health, the team's more confident, we've clearly taken some upside cases off the table. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with the Bengals a little bit. Um, you know, Joe Burrow's knee injury, I, I, I definitely do think they're easing him in and, and it will improve throughout the season, but his knee injury, he had a multiple ligament tear and it happened, I believe in, you know, week six or seven, kind of midway through the closer to midway through the season than at, at the beginning. So those, those injuries just take a while, especially with the multi-ligaments, um, you know, to be fully healthy. So he's, I don't really think he's going to scramble much at all, uh, which is, is something we liked going into last year is his athleticism. He could at least scramble and maybe get you 20 rushing yards in a game. Um, so I, I think moving forward, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think it will improve. Um, and the concentration of targets, as you mentioned, has, has been exactly what we were looking for. So really like that aspect, but just overall offensively, I'm, I'm a little worried that Zach Taylor, you know, he's been such as pass heavy guy the last couple of years and the Bengals have been terrible. You know, his, his record is awful. People are kind of ragging on him left and right. So I'm, I'm worried that Zach Taylor has, kind of change his approach alongside the injury to say, okay, we've got Joe Mixon, you know, we have this, this terrible pass blocking O-line. We just need to run the ball more and be a little more balanced. Um, so I'm worried that'll extend further into the season than we're expecting. And in a few leagues, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with Burrow because I have, have Burrow in a handful of leagues and, and guys like Trey Lance on the bench and, and I'm debating, I don't, I don't know what to do in terms of, you know, do I try and pick up and, and stream like a Daniel Jones type thing? this week against the Falcons or do I try and ride Burrow against the Steelers? Um, it's just, I, yeah. I don't know how, would you feel confident starting Burrow, you know, the next couple of weeks in season long or. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a similar spot where, you know, depending how deep your waivers are, I could definitely see churning that spot where you're just saying, okay, I'm waiting on Lance eventually at this point. Um, so let me just stream a guy in a better spot in the interim. since I'm just waiting on Lance. Ultimately, like I'm trying to hold on to Burrow. Just I want to give it a couple more weeks on the play call and whatnot. See what they do. Let's see what mm-hmm. they do against like a stout Steelers run defense. Like, are, are they going to go to a pass heavy attack? So I want to see a little more. As far as the receivers, like 
the the condensation of the tar the condensing of the targets and <laughs> the condensing of the targets i think i feel good with chase and higgins and their skill and playmaking ability it does worry me about tyler boyd a little bit more just because i think he's more of like like the case for him is like gets his 20 percent target share in this low eight out route on a team that throws a bunch and they're not going to mm-hmm. throw a bunch i'm a little more concerned about him yeah no, Tyler Boyd was an auto scoop for me, like in the seventh round of drafts. Um, and so I am a little worried about the volume. You know, he's never been a, a big touchdown play. It's he's kind of the guy that gets, you know, seven for 75 and and that works wonders in PPR. Um, I think in half kind of where we have him is is solid, but he's certainly someone that, you know, I, I think would definitely be third in the pecking order for me. And it, it was kind of, the, of a, de- a debate of where the volume would go with T Higgins in a second year or Boyd. And uh, at this point I would kind of lean T Higgins way. Then, you know, we've moved Hawkinson ahead of Andrews. Just the targets for Hawkinson have been really good. Detroit's been playing a little differently than we thought, too, which, you know, they've been a little more up-tempo than we thought. They've been a little bit less run-heavy than we thought. We already knew Hawkinson was going to have a huge target share, but we didn't know if the team volume was going to be there. And they've put up some points, so that's good. I still think Mark Andrews is a really good buy low. Um, Mm -hmm. That's going to be there. An interesting guy, Mark, I wonder your take on on Daryl Henderson, where – He's a little bit banged up. We're not totally sure if he's going to play this week. The role has been fantastic through the first two weeks, like really showing really high end upside. So it's kind of like, you know, do you buy low now because that high end upside? But he's also banged up. And, you know, it does seem like Sony Michelle working a little bit more as the season goes on. Yeah, I don't I don't have a super strong take here just just because, you know, I was expecting Michelle to work in more. And I think this is exactly why they brought him in uh, is to alleviate the the massive workload from Henderson. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think if you were able to kind of get him in the, in the sixth round, you know, I would take him ab- above guys. Obviously we have him ranked above, you know, Mike Davis and, and kind of guys that were going in the RB dead zone. Um, so I, I feel confident about it, you know, just, just on a whole. Um, I, I do think he's still the favored pass down back over Sony Michelle, which I like. Um, you know, the Rams haven't been the heaviest running back targeting team in, in the last few years, but could move forward a little bit with Henderson. So I, I don't know. I don't I don't feel super strongly. I think he's a hold for sure. And, and you're feeling great about starting him as as your RB, two. but kind of a tough evaluation in terms of trades right now. Um, if he doesn't play this week, I would almost feel more inclined to trade for him because that will you know lessen his value. But um Otherwise, it's just a, a strict hold for me. I'm not aggressively targeting him in trades. All right. I'm going to jump down a little bit, get us to some of the biggest movers, risers outside of the top 50 or 60 or show, 50 or 60 or so, which we've covered pretty extensively. You know, two young receivers that have gone in opposite directions, Rondell Moore and Brandon Ayuk. We have them both ranked right around wide receiver 45, 42, uh, just inside our top 90 overall. Rondell Moore, we thought he was a great fit for Arizona. We're sort of seeing that targets per route run is great. The hope for him, obviously what he's doing isn't sustainable in terms of the efficiency per snap and per route, but he's going to force his way onto the field a little bit more. And I do think he's always going to be a guy that, you know, isn't going to, at least for this year, isn't going to play 80% of the snaps. But if we can get him to 50 to 60 and he's going to be utilized pretty heavily on those snaps, I think it's really good. With Ayuk, a lot of this comes down to what you need out of your team. If you need starters right now, 
you'd probably rank Ayuk even lower. I have a lot of teams that are pretty flush at wide receiver where I can afford to hold Ayuk. I still think all the reasons we were bullish on Ayuk, like they haven't really gone away. I think it's still there over the course of the season. I just think it's kind of overdrafted to begin with. And then, you know, Kyle Shanahan is Kyle Shanahan. You know, you couldn't really have foreseen the utilization yet, but I, I expect by the end of the year, him to be in a more regular role and, and us see that playmaking ability. Yeah, obviously the IU thing just just makes zero sense. I, I really don't know what to make of it. And, you know, none of us know. We, we don't know how Kyle Shanahan actually feels about him, if it's more of a hamstring injury that, that you know, slowed his play in camp. And, but, you know, it's a, it's a second year. He should feel confident in the system. I, I really don't understand why he's not on the field. We saw just how talented he was last year. So I'm, I'm just worried that Shanahan, you know, is just playing games and uh, just doesn't really care because he's got Kittle and Debo and, you know, I don't know if, if we would need an injury, you know, to someone for Ayuk to, to really pop. But um, I, I think with Rondale, you know, th- this past week I had, I had so many benches with Rondale and Tony Pollard just absolutely go off. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Rondale, you know, the the, the Cardinals ran uh, the highest rate of, you know, four wide receivers last year. I think it was up around 35%. And and we've seen them in, in you know, kind of very positive game scripts thus far. There's uh, some good stats from week one. You know, they ran four wide uh, in a, at a pretty high clip in the first half. And then when they built that big lead against Tennessee, they really started to kind of pack it in and run the ball a little more. And week two, we saw Rondell really pop in more of a back and forth affair. And so I, I don't I'm not necessarily buying into the Cardinals defense. I think Tennessee just had a really slow week one. So I do like this team for shootouts and, and think Rondell is kind of great where we had him, you know, in the 10th round uh, going into the season. And now we've bumped him up kind of into the eighth, ninth round range, which I feel confident about, you know, it's, it's a big, big playability too with him. And uh, we, I don't think we've even seen him get a rushing attempt yet. So I, I think there's still upside in Rondale more, um, especially since the routes have been low and, and just confident in his ability. You know, I think AJ Green is pretty dusted. I'm not necessarily as confident that Cliff Kingsbury and, and the Cardinals will see it that way and start to, you know, lessen his route percentage. But um, I, you know, I, is Rondell Moore kind of like, what would you give up for a Rondell Moore at this point? Um, I think where we have him ranked is pretty solid and that's 87th overall. So man, if you could get someone to bite on like, like, I think I'd trade like a rugs for Rondell Moore for sure. Um, running backs hard. Cause that's so need based. Like sometimes it's hard to move some of these backs that are around the same, but like, like we have Rondell Moore ahead of Kenny Galladay right now. You know, if someone's holding on yeah. to the name recognition, that that's kind of a neutral swap. We have them five points apart. But if you could get Rondell plus something for Kenny, potentially, like I think that's that's if someone thinks they're selling high on um on Rondell and buying low on Kenny, like that that's worth approaching. Yeah, and a name we have, um, you know, right above him is Lavisca Chenault. I I almost think I would take Rondale at this point. I'm I'm worried about Chenault's ADOT um, and just the the Jaguars' offense in general. Kind of, you know, Marvin Jones being the number one there, and DJ Chark more of the deep threat. What where would you lean for Rondale and Visca moving forward? I think I'd still take Visca. Um, I don't know. I think he's kind of like Ayuk, where I think he got steamed so much that he was overdrafted, and now he has this slow start. Mm-hmm. And the combination makes it look worse than it probably is. I do think like over the course of the season, I expect him, like we always knew he was going to be a short ADOT guy. Like um, 
I expect, you know, his talent to shine through a little bit more. Marvin's on the wrong side of the age model as strong as he's playing as much as he's been targeted. So I had slightly lean LaVisca, but it's obviously close. I think sticking with that Jacksonville offense, a running back we weren't high on and who hasn't done that well yet. We've moved him up a little bit to James Robinson, who like this is a buy window on him. If you've got like a zero RB team, you need RB2 help where he's been the pass catching back each of the first two weeks. And he really kind of took over the backfield in general week two, you know, after getting out carried by Hyde week one, week two, 11 carries to two in favor of Robinson played 73% of the snaps. So someone I was really out on hasn't really done that well, but yet, you know, process wise, I think he's a really, you know, smart by low. I don't know if it's going to work out, but it seems like a worthwhile gamble. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have any exposure to James Robinson really. He was a very strong fade. And then, uh, once ETN went down, I, I thought I was going to have to eat it pretty hard. Um, but the first few weeks, I, I think have, have been fine. Uh, he's he's not necessarily someone uh, I don't know that that I'm t- that I'm going after. I think the Jaguars are going to have so many negative game scripts that he's really going to have to start catching balls uh, to be productive in the in the Jaguars backfield. And I'm not you know I don't don't really know if he has a skill set. Last year he just caught balls because he was out there for nearly every play, so every every checkdown would go to him. Um, so I don't know. He's, I, I think I, I agree. Kind of, we have him in a decent range and don't really have too much else to add, honestly, on James Robinson. Yeah. And then w- one more guy I want to talk about before we get out here, but AJ Dillon, someone we dropped in our rankings a little bit. And just in general, players that a lot of their values, contingent value will drop each week as the season goes on. Cause part of the, the, bet and the gamble on them is like, oh, Aaron Jones might get hurt. And each week Aaron Jones doesn't get hurt. That contingent bet is worse. With A.J. Dillon, it's amplified by the fact that we thought he'd have some standalone value and it hasn't seemed that way so far. Like I thought I'd be able to start him somewhat confidently. Like I knew it'd be really volatile, but I thought I'd be able to start him and have it be a reasonable decision. And you know, it, it doesn't really look like that's the case. He's got three targets through through two games. He's got nine carries. Um, that's just, you know, it, it's not going to get it done. Yeah, I think obviously week one was such an outlier game for the Packers. And I think week two was a little bit in terms of they were just really trying to get, you know, their main guys going. Uh, really, we're looking to feed Aaron Jones, clearly, with, with his four touchdowns and uh, just right around the goal line to get him going. So I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to overreact. I, I think it will be better moving forward. Um, but he's, I kind of agree with you that I don't know if he, I'm, you know, I, I don't really feel confident starting him in the flex uh, moving forward, just with, with what we've seen. So. Um, Buddy, on my team, this is an RB2 decision. Flex is RB2, fine. Yeah. We got wide receivers <laughs> in the flex. It's RB2. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you're definitely any, right there. Anybody else you want to mention? Um, in the top 150 that you thought moved a lot or just, you know, just have well, an interesting take on? I think the quarterbacks are interesting, especially with Justin Fields um, taking over now. You know, just uh, kind of want to get your thoughts and expectations on Justin Fields. And if you try and buy him now before he gets a game in or, you know, kind of hoping he struggles in his first outing against the Browns. I, I think the, the Browns defense is, you know, has come in a little overrated and we've, we've seen them not perform, you know, up to snuff just yet hopefully that can improve but uh just yeah what are your what's your take on justin fields and where would you slot him in yeah we have him qb 11 91st overall i think 
that's maybe a little optimistic looking at it. Like we probably should have a bigger gap between him and Hertz, you know, because Hertz is like what we hope Fields will be kind of from a fantasy perspective. And we also have no guarantees Fields is going to hold on to this starting job. Um, but if he does performs how we think he is, you know, it's kind of correlated bet there. I probably slide him down more towards like where Matthew Stafford is, where I think he has more upside than Stafford, uh, you know, just outside our top 100 overall. I'm playing him in most leagues. I have him, you know, because most leagues I have him were leagues where I didn't draft a really high end quarterback early. I have one league where I took Dak early and fields just fell so far that I took him that I'm not starting him, but pretty much everywhere else. I've taken like, like a burrow is the guy we've talked about. Like I have some fields burrow or some fields, Matt Ryan ones. And I'm probably starting fields with that rushing upside in all those spots. Yeah. I love the rushing upside. Obviously we saw him come in for those goal line packages. So that's obviously in play for Justin Fields, you know, to get a two or three yard rushing touchdown, which, which would be massive. Um, And I'm, I'm very bullish on him just because I do love the, the Allen Robinson, as his wide receiver one, uh, Darnell Mooney, I think is, is ascending. They've clearly been looking to get him involved in the first couple of weeks. And, um, you know, the, the tight end there, Cole Komet is someone I ended up taking a lot towards the end of draft season. Just thought this could be a year that he would pop. And, and week one looked really promising. And then in week two, he only had one target and and really put up a dud. Um, is, is there anything that you've seen underlying with Cole Komet that would, you know, kind of make you buy him low as, as a tight end that could ascend potentially, or, or are you just kind of lukewarm at this point? I'm lukewarm. I think the, I mean, this is just the nature of the tight end position where Cole Komet is yeah. like, you get excited about these guys, but the truth is the most realistic outcome is like what's happening with Cole Komet. And I don't think it's like a knock against him. It's just, you're not going to get a ton of targets. You know, it's just the way it is. I, I expect him to be better moving forward. He's been was somewhat inefficient, only about five yards per target. And I expect the targets to be higher, but like, so, so like I'd probably hang on to him instead of going to the wire at tight end where it's probably pretty bleak. But like, other than that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have too much on Cole Komet. Yeah. Yeah. I think Baltimore right. running backs too, it, it might, might be the last thing to, to discuss Latavius Tyson. Uh, we've seen both mixed in. I think they love Latavius and, you know, there's comments around uh, Lamar Jackson saying that, you know, I, I don't get how anyone would ever want to tackle Latavius Murray. And I think they are, he might be the favorite kind of for goal line work. Um, and, you know, we have him and we have Latavius a little lower at 106 overall. And Tyson is, um, you know, up at 93rd overall. So kind of in that Trey Sermon, Tony Pollard, AJ Dillon range is Tyson. Uh, Latavius, you know, or is, is he someone you'd feel confident starting and can probably get a touchdown out of him? I mean, I think I'm probably – I'm fine starting Latavius just because that backfield is going to churn out running back points. It's going to be a split. I'm fine starting him. Definitely like Tyson a little bit more with, you know, surprised at the amount of targets he's got in six targets through two games. I don't know if it'll stay exactly at that rate, but that's still a positive sign. You know, Latavius doesn't have a target. And he's just been really – you know, he's been efficient. He's been good on the ground, 22 for 142. So I think we have it right where we're – kind of cautiously optimistic on both just because we don't think either is going to have a huge stranglehold, but they're both, you know, pretty startable backs right now, sort of depending on what you need. Um, Tyson seems like he has the more upside of the two. 
All right, that's going to do it for us. Mark, thanks so much for joining me. If you want to see our full 150 again, which we update each week with the whole ETR staff on Wednesdays and keep it updated, you can sign up for our in-season package, which comes with all of our GFS stuff as well. And promo code ETE will get you 5% off. That's our thank you for being an established The Edge listener. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe to us on YouTube, on Apple iTunes. It helps us a lot. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you.